And you can be seated. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah chapter 26. It is uh, good to be into the new year and moving in that direction. I saw something today that said that we are 2% done with the year already. So uh, it was actually in... Um, some, some, of, some people that are just newer to computers won't remember this, but like those download bars that used to take forever, you know, it was in the download bar with the 2%. It was like moving too fast already. And so we're in the midst of that. And as we're kind of kicking off the year, thinking about the year, um, the Lord just kind of laid on my heart to start the year with a series about who we are, what we're about. And we're calling this series Imprint. It's going to run for the next five or six weeks. And um, looking at who we are, what mark should we make on the area that we are around, what mark or imprint on our society should our church make, and what is it about us that identifies us. And so when I looked up what an imprint was, I was thinking about that, I was trying to think of something that left a mark and was a... Was a a signature, and I just found this word and thought about a, an impression or an understanding or a picture of who we are. Another way to think about this series is what are our core values? What are we about? Um, what is it at the central location of who we are as First Baptist Goodlettsville that is important to us and is what we are striving to do? Another way to think about this is what is it about our church that if we get everything else right, but we miss this, then we fail? Like if we get everything else right, if we got the right structure and we've got the right places and we've got the right building and we've got the right um, infrastructure built into everything, if we've got all of that and we accomplish all of those things, but we fail to do this, then we have failed. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about some of those core values. And even here on the title slide, and it's too small for you to probably see, but if you need a bigger version of it, it's out in the hallway on the wall. This is our purpose statement. This is our mission statement. Um, I don't know if you know, but there are people out there that, you know, they, they have churches have vision statements, mission statements, purpose statements, goal statements. Some churches have five or six different versions of that. This is, somebody said, is that your vision statement or your purpose statement? Yes. Yes, this is it. This is what we're about. And that is that we exist to glorify God by leading people to become passionately devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what does that in actuality mean and look like? What does it mean that we exist to glorify God by leading people to become passionately devoted followers of Jesus Christ? What does it look like to be a passionately devoted follower of Jesus Christ? What does that look like in corporate church world? How do we do that in this day and age, in this place that God has called us to minister to? These are the big idea moments behind what we are doing. And so I mentioned earlier, if you're fairly new here, this is something that you're looking at our church, you've just become a part of our church in the last uh, year or so, or you're looking at maybe God may be leading you to this place. 
this is going to be a great opportunity over the next few weeks to go, that's what they're about. Or let me just say that in some of these ways, this is going to be aspirational because I am not claiming in any way that we have fully arrived. But this is what we want to be. This is what I, as your leader, as your shepherd in this process, feel called by God to proclaim that ought to be the center of who we are. And we start with the very first phrase in that purpose, mission, vision, all of that statement. And that is, we exist to glorify God. Isaiah chapter 26, Isaiah is looking for a, hopefully a place to be there. And this verse has become a part of the DNA fabric of who we are. It is my life verse. It is something that I have preached about as much as anything else. But I want to read. I'm going to go ahead and put this on the screen. I just want to read. You can listen if you're in your Bibles. You can follow the verses surrounding this to get us into the mindset of what's happening here. Talk about this for a moment and then move into what that looks like for us. And he's looking forward, Isaiah, we're walking through Isaiah and have been for the last couple of years on Wednesday nights. We don't have other Bible studies. We're, we're not even, we're just into the 30s of the chapters of Isaiah. But when you read the first section of Isaiah, there is not a lot of hope in it. There will be glimpses of hope, moments of hope, and Isaiah 26 is one of those glimpses. Mostly it's, hey, we've done some things that God has not approved of. God is sending judgment. God is judging us. Don't align with other people, but focus on what God has called you to do. But in the midst of that, there are these moments of hope, these rays of excitement. And it says, on that day, chapter 26, verse 1, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation is established as walls and ramparts. So he's looking forward to a day when they're not, at the current moment, they're being besieged by Assyria. They're being threatened by outside enemies. And they're saying there's coming a day when everything will be set right. When we will say, open the gates so a righteous nation can come in, one that remains faithful. You, God, will keep in mind the dependent on you in perfect peace, for it is trusting in you. So, God, you will take care of those and put us in peace. Trust in the Lord forever, because in the Lord, the Lord himself is an everlasting rock. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a good place for an amen. Thank you, Bob. I'll read that again. Trust in the Lord forever, because in the Lord, the Lord himself, not in other stuff, not in what he provides even, but in the Lord himself is an everlasting rock. For he has humbled those who live in the lofty places, in an inaccessible city. He brings it down. He brings it down to the ground. He throws it to the dust. Feet trample at the feet of the humble, the steps of the poor. He says those that place themselves in positions over God will be humbled, and they will be walked upon by the humble and the poor. The path of the righteous is level. You clear a straight path for the righteous. And then we get to the verse that centers all of this and says, Yes, Lord, our response to understanding the sovereign, great God, God, we have, yes, Lord, we wait for you in the path of judgments. Or, yes, Lord, walking in the ways of your truth, we wait for you. Doing what you've called us to do, living as you called us to live, we will wait for you. We will say yes to you no matter what goes into our lives. Yes, Lord, walking in the ways of your truth, we wait for you. Why? For your name and your renown are the desire of our souls. Verse 9 after that says, I long for you in the night, as my spirit within me diligently seeks you. I long for you. 
Because I know when your judgments are in the land, when you are here, the inhabitants of the world will learn and live in righteousness. Isaiah 26.8 is a focal point and a centering place for us as a church. Yes, Lord. Multiple times I have said over the last 15 and a half years, there is no other word in front of the word Lord that makes sense except for yes. Because to put no or maybe or sometime or in the future or possibly in front of the word Lord negates that he is your Lord. I don't mean in an a positional sense that God can be knocked off of the place of being Lord. I'm just saying you are not surrendering to his lordship if you say anything but yes. Yes, Lord, while I walk in your ways, while I wait for you, while I live out what you've called me to live, your name and your renown are the desire of our souls. The literal picture here is of people shouting and screaming the name of the Most High God from every possible place on the face of the earth, that the glory of the Lord will surround the earth like the waters of the sea, like the resounding moment when every voice cries out together in one that the Lord God is God, and that there is no other. Ultimately, life is not about us. Your life is not about you. It's not about your desires or your wants or your dreams or your goals or your aspirations. Ultimately, this church is not about us. It's not about our desires or our goals or our dreams or our aspirations or our preferences or our comfort. Ultimately, life, ultimately, this church is about the Lord God Almighty and giving him all the glory. Isaiah 43, 7 says, God says, I have redeemed you. I have created you for my own glory. And so when we think about the, the central tenet of who we are as a church, of central tenet of who we are as individuals, at the center of who we are, at the very depth of the beginning of our understanding of what we're about, is this understanding that we exist not only as a church, but as individuals. We are created, we live, we have our meaning by glorifying God. We exist as a church for his glory. You exist as an individual for his glory. And yet it is so easy for us to get caught up in switching the focus of our lives from the glory of God to the comfort and care of ourselves. We like to take the pieces of scripture that speak to the promises of God in our lives or how we fit into the picture, and we like to magnify and lift those up. We're like the um, the scientist of old that believed that the earth was at the center of the universe and that everything revolves around us. And we like to think that. I, I even think back when I was growing up and I saw 
Um, a pastor talked about this the other day. When I was growing up, maybe you remember this, maybe you have this, and I'm not, I'm not telling you never to, to look at it, but um, I, I, had a, I had a book I remember somebody gave me for graduation. 1994, graduation, Dyersburg High School. And the book was God's Promises for You. Basically, they just took out everything in the Bible that wasn't a promise to me, and they gave me the book. And I'm going to tell you, that's an awesome book. God's promises for me, that's an awesome thing. Like looking up every day, what's God's promise for me today? What's God's promise for me Tuesday? Hey, it's Sunday, January 8th. What is, let me just pick up, what is God's promise to me today? And God does give us promise after promise after promise. But what we have a danger of is thinking that the Bible was written as a promise book for us. Or we think about heaven and we think about all that's coming to heaven. Man, I'm looking forward to heaven, amen? I'm looking forward to that, but we get focused on, so what's my house going to be like? And depending on where we are in the current structure of HGTV trends on redecorating, our mansions look different each time, right? We've gone from farmhouse to modern eclectic or something. I don't even know what those words mean, but that's, that's there, right? And we're like, like, we think about, what am I going to get? What's it going to be like for me? What is heaven going to be like? And we focus on the experience of us in heaven. If we're not careful, our mind begins to shift and we begin to think that everything that has been done is for us. God's promises for us. Heaven for us. Crucified for us. And while those things are true, God does give us many promises. Heaven is going to be unlike anything we can ask or imagine because God is preparing it for us. And Jesus died on the cross for our sins. All of those are true. And yet they are not the central idea of any of it. The Bible is not, in its essence, a promise book for you and me. The Bible, in its essence, is a revelation of an almighty, sovereign God to people that he loves, that he has created, describing how he has set in motion through history a rescue plan to rescue us from our own failing in order that we might be brought back into right relationship with him, in order that we might give him the glory that is due to his name and lift him higher than anyone else because there is no one like our God. It is not ultimately our story. It is not my story. It is God's revelation to us. And can I tell you something? If he didn't want to tell us anything about himself, he wouldn't have to. It is voluntary. It's the revelation of a sovereign God moving through history to accomplish his purpose and his plans. Heaven is going to be unbelievable. Unbelievable. Literally, we will not be able to believe what heaven is like. And yet, Scripture makes it clear that the point of heaven is not our comfort or our enjoyment, although that will be there. The purpose of heaven is for God's people to be with God in order to give Him the praise and honor that is due His name. As a church, anytime we move our focus off of what it means to glorify God at the center of who we are, we are in danger of losing our way. 
My life changed 26 years ago this month. Many of you have heard the story of a conference that I went to, but here's the truth. When I was growing up, I kind of had that view that, that, yes, I knew God loved me. It was about God's love for me, what God did for me, the cross for me, church for me, and all of that. And so a lot of my life was based on those promises of God and looking to that. And and again, God does love us, but that that was kind of the central focus. That's what I remember. And so whatever kind of I got out of church was based on the fact of whether or not it was good for me that day. I mean, literally, you'd go to church, and it's all right today. Music was pretty good. I mean, sermon, he's five minutes shorter than last week, so that's better. And, like, you know, it was just good. And, man, that story he told, that was awesome. And, like, Brother Boston did a great job today. Or, eh, it just wasn't for me today. I just, uh, you know, I didn't like the songs too much. And I just wish we wouldn't sing that sometimes. Or I don't know why we sang that. I don't know why he chose to do that. Or I don't know why uh, he let so-and-so speak or why they prayed. Or, you know, those kind of things. Just, like, church was about evaluating. And you evaluate with your friends. And how was Wednesday night? Well, it's all right this week. I mean, Mike did a pretty good job this week and I thought the music was good and like I had some friends there. So that was fun. Like it wasn't about what it ought to have been about. It was about what I could get out of it. And 26 years ago, I went to a conference. I was uh, in college, junior at Union. We loaded up a van and we drove to Austin, Texas. There was this little conference happening there called Passion. Never happened before. First year it ever happened. Passion 97. And while I was there, I was introduced, and I say that even though I'd been a part of a church my entire life, to just this overwhelming understanding of the centrality of God in all things for all people at all times, and even the centrality of God for God. That God is accomplishing His purposes for His own glory. And it was there that I was introduced to this verse, this obscure looking verse in the middle of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 26, 8, that when on first reading, it may not have that pool that you go, man, that is awesome. And part of that's because when we're reading it, it's not a promise to us. It's not about us. It is saying that my job, my goal, my life is to glorify God. It is to make your renown. It is to literally be like we are in that stadium and they are resounding with praises for those that are on the field. And yet what we're doing is instead of resounding for a few guys in a uniform on the field, we are resounding with the glory of the Almighty God. And it is in that moment that I began to think about that. I remember walking away from that first conference and this is what they said to do. And I, I would encourage you, if you have not started a Bible reading plan for the year, um, if you've started a Bible reading plan for a year and it was good for two days and you're already done with that, like I would encourage you, one of the things that you could do that really, really impacted my life is I took a journal and I just read one, two, or three psalms a day. Just whatever kind of was led. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't trying to make a goal. I wasn't trying to get through the psalms in 22 days. Like I was like, just read a couple of psalms. And then what I would do is I would write at the top of that after I read those psalms, the most profound characteristic of God that I saw in those psalms. And I began to focus in my mind, not on what is this psalm teaching me about me or what can I get from this psalm. I began to say, what does it teach me about God? And I would write at the top, provider, creator. And then I would just pray through and dwell on that for the day. 
Every once in a while in my life, I've kind of gone back to that devotional routine when other things are dry or I don't feel like I'm just not, you know, you get in a rut or you're not feeling good or you've missed a couple of days. You're like, what am I, what am I even doing? Just go back and read the Psalms. And one of the things you'll do is when you do that and then you begin to read other passages of Scripture, you see how the glory of God is the purpose of everything. One of the things that I began to understand as I read Scripture and I become more familiar with it again and again is not only should we be passionate about the glory of God, that God himself is passionate about his own glory. Just an example, a quick biblical overview, and then we're going to talk about some implications. First of all, we see that God created for his glory, that we were created for his glory. Isaiah 43, it says, bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone, and that's all people, let's bring everybody together, everyone whom I created. Why? For my glory. God says from the very beginning that we were created for his glory. Not only that, it tells us that what a greatest story of the Old Testament, the rescue from the Passover, was for his glory. Psalm 106, verse 7 and following says, Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your ways or your wonderful works. They rebelled against you at the Red Sea, yet you saved them for your namesake, that you might make known your power and your glory. Why did the exodus happen? For the glory of God. When they got into the wilderness, it tells us in the book of Isaiah that God had mercy on them in the wilderness for his glory. He says, for my name's sake, I deferred my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrained it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not like silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. Why? For my name's sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. He says in the wilderness when I should have struck you down when Moses came to me and said Lord I am tired of these stiff necked people that are only about themselves and what they have and they can't get on page with what we're doing God just start again and God says for my own name's sake and for the glory of my name I gave mercy. We know that he was crucified for the glory of God. Romans 15, 8, as far as I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. We know from Philippians that how did he become a servant? He became a servant by becoming one of us, but also becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. To show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Romans chapter 3, verse 25. The a couple of verses after for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It says, God put forward Jesus as propitiation. That's a big word. It just means our atoning sacrifice. It meant that he satisfied the wrath of God and that he paid for our sins and brought God's favor back to us. The propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because his divine forbearance he had passed over sins. It was to keep God's name 
as it should be because he is God. It was to say that even though he has looked over sins and forbeared in the midst of that, he is a righteous and just God. And then we know, according to Second Thessalonians, Jesus is returning to get glory. It says First Thessalonians at the bottom. It's actually Second Thessalonians. And it says, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at by all who have believed. The point is that the Bible makes it abundantly clear that the number one priority for every person that has ever been created, the ultimate goal for all of us, is to live our lives for the glory of God. And there are a couple of implications for that that I think are vital for us. And the first is that the reason that matters is, is because when we live for the glory of God, it places us in a much bigger story. Understanding the centrality of God puts us in a bigger story. So that when life gets difficult, and life will get difficult, your 2023 may not have had difficulty yet, but give it time. We're 2% done, right? Like, your year is going to have difficulty. Your life is going to have difficulty. And some of that's going to be small inconveniences. And some of that's going to be real, life-altering, life-shattering difficulty. And understanding the centrality of God puts us in that bigger story. It makes us realize that there's a grander plan, a bigger idea, that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. And that means when difficulty, problems, real tragedy happens in our lives, we can take comfort in the fact that the God, the sovereign God of the universe is weaving all things together for his glory in order that at the end we know he wins and he will bring it all together. And so when there is a tragic death in your family of a loved one, when there is a collapse of a relationship that is important to you, when there is a health problem in your own life, when there is a financial difficulty that you can't explain or understand how it happened in the midst of all of that, if we just had to focus on the here and now, and what is happening and what is going on in my life, it would get depressing and it would be terrifying to think if this is all there is. But when we realize that it is about God's glory and God's story and that we are a part of that story and He has given us an opportunity to join in that story, we realize that yes, He can redeem the most tragic events of our lives for Him. And that he is a master of taking the worst possible thing we could imagine and using it for his glory and for the sake of his kingdom. And so maybe 2023 is already messed up for you. Maybe you entered the year messed up. Maybe there's something going on in your life and you're wondering, why does all of this matter? Well, the truth is, when it puts us in the midst of that story, then we understand we have a bigger calling on our lives. Now let's talk about that at a church level. What it helps us to understand is that we are not out here on our own, trying by ourselves to win the whole world for Christ, and we're doing it without any power from on high. We realize that we are part of a bigger story with billions of people around the planet working together for the purposes of God's plan. At the same time, it means that little struggles that might 
pop up in the midst of ourselves. Disagreements and squabbles need to be put in their right place as disagreements and squabbles, especially if they're interfering with us being a part of the greater story of taking God's gospel to the world and giving glory to his name. And if there is anything in the way we interact with one another and the way we talk with one another, the way we do business, the way we act, the way we live, the way we have conversations, the way we share prayer requests that are gossip line, any of that that is not glorifying to God, then it needs to go. I didn't expect a lot of amens there, but it's true. If there is anything in our church, in the way that we are structured or the way that we are falling out the structure of what God has called us to do, that is preventing us from being a part of and giving glory to God, it needs to go. I thought I might get one there, but I didn't. Got a couple of head nods. Understanding where we are. And a story that is about the centrality of the glory of God makes what we're doing more important here. Because we're not just trying to keep a church alive on Main Street in Goodlettsville, Tennessee. We get the opportunity to be part of the greatest story for the greatest purpose that has ever existed. At that moment, that conference that changed my life years ago, there was a guy that spoke there by the name of John Piper. Some of you may have heard of John Piper. It was kind of funny last week. If you were here last week, you know that I did this long kind of thing about what God was was uh, doing with Joshua in that moment and I did probably five minutes just going on it going on it and right when I got done my Apple watch um, said I did not understand what you said right like right there like out loud for all of you to hear John Piper I saw this week same I think it was last Sunday uh, his watch thought he had fallen because he was preaching so hard and asked if they needed to call emergency services so that was better than mine right okay it's the new fall fever. I'm not wearing my watch today because I didn't want anybody else not understanding what I was doing. Um, but in that in that in that conference, I'm not really sure what that meant there, Glenn. All right. Uh, uh, in that conference, 20 plus years ago, John Piper was speaking. He was talking about the sovereignty of God. He was talking about all this stuff, and he just said this phrase that has uh, it's, it's not, lots of people know this phrase, it's his most famous phrase, but it impacted me and it said, he simply said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And the implication of the fact that the glory of God is the central reason for which we were all created means that if you're not plugged in to living your life for the glory of God, then you are missing out on your best life. That what makes us whole and right is living out the purpose for which we were created. I've been, uh, 
I was thinking about this this week, that we live in a culture that's always looking for hacks, life hacks, you know, simple ways to use different things for ways that you could do it un not the way that you would normally use it. And we take something that was created for one purpose and we use it for a different purpose. Um, when we, uh, <laughs> well, I think about it, when we cook hamburgers here for, for people we're doing for events or whatever, a few years ago we found out there's this huge uh, til- tilt skillet like stir in there. It's huge. It's this thing that you stir a big tilt skillet with. And we discovered it is the world's best hamburger flipper. That is not what it was created for at all, but man, it does that job. But its ultimate fulfillment is found in what it was created for. There are a lot of people that are trying to use their lives to do things for which they were never created for. And it may work a little bit, but it is not the same as what God intended for us to do. We were created to glorify Him, and we find our ultimate fulfillment in that. So two things out of that for us as a church and as individuals. First of all, we need to live fit. I'm not asking you to go on a workout routine. What I mean by that is live where you fit in the story of God's kingdom. Whatever that may be. The job that you have, how does that fit into what God's kingdom is about, into the glory of God? My favorite verses is, whatever you do, whether you drink or eat, do it all for what? The glory of God. What I love about that, he says, whatever you do, and then he doesn't give big things. Like, whatever you do, taking the world or accomplishing your major goals, he says, whatever you do, and then he gives the two things that everybody does every day. Whether you eat or drink, the simplest, most basic things, live it out for the glory of God. Whatever you do in your life, live with it, fit into the plan of what God has called you to do. Focus your mind on the fact that this is for the glory of God and how do I fit into that. And then the second thing is not only live fit, live full. Jesus said that I've come to give them life, give it to the fullest. Your fullest life is a life that is dedicated to following the plan that God has for you to bring glory to his name. And one of the ways that you can do that in your life is you can look at your life and see the things in your life that are not giving you the ability to live for the glory of God. That may be sins in your life. Hebrews 12 talks about throwing off the sin that so easily entangles us and all of the other stuff in our life, the distractions in our life, whatever that may be. It may be sin, it may be distraction. If there is something in your life that is preventing you from living for the glory of God, then you need to get rid of it. That's a relationship. If that's an obligation... If that's a schedule thing, live for the fullness of God. Live most satisfied in Him so that you can glorify Him with who you are. And as a church, those are the two questions we have to ask when it comes to we exist to glorify God. How does this church, in this place, at this time, with us here, what I mean 
When I say church, I don't mean this building, although that's definitely a part of where we gather. I'm talking about the group of people that are gathered here in 2023 in Goodlettsville, Tennessee, even though it may be from different areas around, in this group that gathers here on Sunday mornings, where do we fit in what God is doing for His glory and for the sake of His kingdom? And we need to live that out and pursue it with all that we have. And the second question is, are we living with a passion for the glory of God? And if not, what's preventing us from doing so? And whatever it is, we need to get rid of it. Because the number one priority the number one goal of our church is to glorify God. In fact, our purpose statement could end right there. Period. That's not. It doesn't. We're going to spend the next five weeks talking about the other part. But if we don't get this part right, everything else fails. So my question to you today is, are you living for the glory of God? Let's pray to God. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the promises that you have given us, for the way that you love us, for the way that you bring mercy and grace into our lives. Lord, we are eternally grateful for what you have done for us. And Lord, today we come and admit that many times we focus on what you've done for us and we forget that at the essence of it is an understanding that we are to glorify you with everything we have and that you have given us those things to make it possible for us to be in relationship with you and to give you glory. And so, Lord, I pray that today you will show us those things in our lives individually. You'll show us things in our families' lives. You'll show us things in our church's life that prevent us from giving you the glory and following you with all that we have. We pray, Lord, that you'll help us to make 2023 a year when we seek out and live for you, for your glory and the spread of your kingdom. Yes, Lord, walking in the ways of your truth, we wait for you. Our prayer as a people and as a church is that your name and your renown would be the desire of our souls. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.